Hi, it's John from A is for Alcoholic. I wanted to welcome you to our very first interview. Very exciting stuff for me. I hope it is for you too. So I got a chance to sit down with George Haymaker III, founder of Rethink Ice Cream and talk about recovery. And it was great. He was very kind, very inspiring, had some really cool things to say about spirituality, prayer, practices, rituals, all the things that keep us sober. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. George Haymaker III, uh, founder of Rethink Ice Cream. And um, maybe you can start by just telling me what, I mean, just what is Rethink Ice Cream? What folks, why they would want to have this versus something else? Well, maybe I can just start off by talking about the name sure. and, and the genesis of it, how it came to be. Um, because when we made the ice cream, we were looking for um, what to call it, how to brand <clears throat> it. And um, the name uh, goes back to when I was hitting my bottom. And literally, I was um, at my home in Napa and uh, in our... Uh, my, I'd scared my wife and my puppies off. They had driven down to L.A. because they didn't want to be around me. And um, I was in my bathroom, and I was going to... My, my cousin had killed himself. Um, he was uh, also a substance abuser. And um, I was going to reenact his death in, in, uh, in my bathroom. And um, that was my bottom. And so at that moment, I was kind of forced into a, a place where I had to rethink everything in my life. And so I had a, a meeting at that point with my higher power and, you know, he gave me a choice. It was either, um, you know, die um, or turn things around. And so that's where the kind of the name came from. Um, rethink was a matter for me, rethinking everything in my life, including what I put into my body. So we've taken that <coughs> experience of mine and uh, what we ask, you know, consumers to do is just rethink how they view ice cream, that it can be part of a healthy lifestyle. And so there's more to how the ice cream came to be, but I know that mm -hmm. we're here to talk about recovery. So <laughs> yes. That's, yes, that's what I'd prefer to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how long, like, I mean, how long did you drink for? Like, when did you start? What was the first time you started drinking alcoholically? Yeah, so I started in college. Um, I was pretty much a good boy before that. Um, I was an uncomfortable kid and, you know, we can get into why I think I drank, uh, which I'll do in a second, but I started in college and um, when I checked into my freshman dorm, there was parties everywhere and first thing I know, I'm across the hall with some new friends of mine and they introduced me to Four Roses Whiskey and um, I ended up, ended up getting you know, uh, smashed on it and could never drink brown liquor again. But that was the first time I drank and um, it just, you know, went off from there. I drank till I was 50 <clears throat> in varying degrees. Mm -hmm. I was kind of a binge drinker, still functional in my professional life, but um, never really comfortable with myself. And so I used substances to kind of bring comfort, um, emotional comfort to sure. myself. Yeah, um, and you said this was because of things earlier on yeah. as a kid? I mean, you know, most of us in recovery that have been in the rooms, we hear the stories, and 
you know, 9.9 .9 times out of 10, it's people that are uncomfortable in their own skin. And there are things that they're trying to get away from. And a lot of it traces back to childhood. A lot of dysfunction, yeah. uh, broken homes, um, abuse of one sort or another, um, things that, you know, scar a young child um, and they just don't learn how to cope with it. And that was my case where we moved every year. So I was always having to say goodbye to friends and meet new friends. Uh, so having to change environments. And then there was some sexual abuse um, from some older boys in one of the neighborhoods I lived in. So a combination of all those things um, gave me the impression of myself that I wasn't worthy and that something was wrong with me. Um, and so I was uncomfortable and I didn't know it. I acted out a lot. I got angry and that was just a byproduct of being uncomfortable. And the more I acted out, the more, tr more trouble I got into with my parents and more abuse. And so it was just kind of an evolving thing that sure. um, I found a solution. And that's the solution I carried with me until it didn't work anymore and I hit a wall. I don't At know. the end, I was doing 50, pill, 50 Vicodins a day, you know, 10 milligram Norcos. And I wasn't getting anything from it except just being able to calm the shakes and the, you know, the, the beginnings of the withdrawals. I was just trying to baseline. And like I said, I was just hanging on. There was really no, no high to it. There was just trying to keep my body from shutting down and withdrawing. And which, you, were, you were married? You were yeah. working? Oh, yeah. You know, um, fairly high-achieving, um, you know, executive of various businesses that I owned and operated. And um, I was holding it somewhat together that respect, but it was coming to an end where, you know, it was starting to bleed through in my behavior and, you know, you just couldn't, you just can't hide stuff like that. Not for long. No, not for <laughs> long. Um, so I had to do something about it. I mean, I knew it. The handwriting was on the wall. My wife was telling me she was leaving me. She, you know, it was just, um, and I just made a decision at that moment that I didn't want to go out this way. I didn't want my life to stand for what it was becoming. Um, I had zero meaning in my life. Um, I, I felt very little. I had shut down my emotions long ago to not feel the hurt that I had felt as a child. And, uh, you know, fortunately I had that, um, um, that experience with what became my higher power to where I was literally brought to my knees in that bathroom and um, just begging for help. And... <clears throat> Um, mm -hmm. like I said, I feel it was, um, an intervention by God that gave me this choice that I could either turn my life around and make it stand for something meaningful or just, you know, go the direction I was going which was down the drain, which was down the drain. Yeah. Can I ask you, um, about your higher power? Yeah. <laughs> it's a, so I, were you, did you feel spiritual at all before? Were you brought up in any sort of no. religious so, construct no. or anything like that? No. So I've got a real interesting story on that. So zero religious background, zero spiritual background, which is part of the reason I had no meaning in my life. It was all about accumulating. It was all about working. You know, my dad was my idol and he worked hard. So I just wanted to grind. And, um, like I said, I got to this dead end and, um, and I just stood for nothing. And when I got to one of my readings, 
questions that the spiritual advisor asked me is, says, what is, what is your, you know, what's, the, what does your life mean? What's the meaning in your life? And I began to tell him what I did for a living. I just kind of chuckled and um, it became readily apparent to me that that's not what he was looking for. So, um, you know, that was, there were a few key moments in rehab and, and, and a lot of key moments in recovery where different things happened that began to put the building blocks in place that brought me to this point. Um, so I, you know, entered AA right from the beginning and uh, it, for a while it was just all about not drinking and doing the steps mm -hmm. and just doing what I was told and learning the, the AA program. Um, but that last component, that spiritual component was one I just couldn't get. I mean, I, I'm a very cerebral person. I can figure things out. I'm fairly smart. And I kept trying to figure out this God thing. And the thing that I mm -hmm. came to realize is that you don't figure out the God thing. You feel the God thing. And so the, the problem with me was, is I, I never felt anything. So I had to get out of my head and get into my heart. And that is the number one um, thing that has caused the change in my life and for recovery to be successful for me is that I lead life through my heart now. And so it was a matter of being able to understand, not only understand, it wasn't an understand intellectually thing, it was an actual opening of the heart and experiencing life through the heart. And, and getting in touch with my soul, which lies behind the heart. And so a key moment in my uh, recovery was at my next rehab, <laughs> um, the counselor did walk me outside and he put me on a bench and, a, and it was in a beautiful setting and the sun was shining and he said, okay, what I want you to do is sit here and shut your brain off and just just get in touch with things that, um, that are most meaningful to you in life. So for me, it was my parents, my two puppies, things that brought me to an emotional state. And so I sat there and just got in touch with that and, be, and began to get tears in my eyes because of the state I was in and just how much I didn't want to lose those things that meant something to me. And my heart began to open. And and then I just sat there with an open heart and, and asked God to come into me. And that was the first moment that I began to experience what it meant to live life, live a moment uh, with an open heart and not through my head. Um, and then I just had to then practice that because um, spir <clears throat> spirituality is a practice. And I just had to practice, 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 and make that um, my pursuit. And that's that's what it is. You know, you get in, you get on the spiritual path, and you pursue it. It's a lifelong uh, pursuit of enlightenment, or something that resembles enlightenment. But it's a it's a path that you're on. It's not. There is no finish line. There is no getting there. It you is, don't graduate. <laughs> it is a lifestyle, yeah. and it, yeah. it that's what I had to get my head around. Is that this was no longer about drinking for me. Drinking is the price of admission to get into recovery. You, you cannot drink and be in recovery because it, it just doesn't lend itself to the lifestyle. But for me, recovery couldn't be about just not drinking. That wasn't enough um, 
there wasn't enough satisfaction in that. There wasn't enough reward in just not drinking. I, I had to pursue something that was more meaningful. And, and, and so I've been able to do that through understanding that through an open, with an open heart, I can get really comfortable and I can get my new high by enriching my soul. And so that is what life has become for me, is that I live life through my heart. Not to say that my brain doesn't make noise and I get thoughts and it doesn't yes. get in my way. But every time it does, I recognize, okay, my brain is starting to run my life again. And, and when I say the brain, I mean the ego, which, mm -hmm. is where the, which, is, which is what lives in the mind. It's what creates all this noise and all this discomfort for us. Yes. So I can recognize it immediately when it's happened. I redirect my energy back down into my, into my heart. I make sure that it's open and I always live life through my heart. Um, the only thing I use my head for anymore is information. I use it to multiply two times two. I use it to read a map to get to John's house. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't ever act on an idea or a thought that comes through my head without running it through the filter of my heart. If my heart thinks it's a good idea, then maybe I'll act on it. But I never do anything just by the virtue of what travels through my two ears. Well, I think that's, that's good advice for anybody in recovery. And I, I, I know that it's still, and I'm still only at three years, you know, that the God thing is, is so difficult for people. And um, I don't know if you've, if you've created any sort of persona or if something, if you've given it a, a, a name. I know a lot of people do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I have some good input on that. So um, I don't make, now God has never spoken to me. I haven't heard the words but I've felt a ton of energy from God. Mm -hmm. When I, my heart is open and I'm relating to what God stands for, and that to me is what God is. It's a set of principles, God-like principles, holy principles, that God, that we all understand God to mean. And so God, um, you know, typically means, you know, we, not I. It's harmony, it's um, kindness, compassion, it's love, it's caring. It's doing unto thy neighbor the, the way that you, you know, um, as you'd want them to do to you. It's, mm -hmm. um, it's all the things that we attribute to um, holiness and, and right. And, and, and so what I do is I just um, liken God to those principles. And I just live my life according to those principles. And when I do, I get direct feedback through my open heart into my soul that there's approval. I, I believe strongly that God created us to be kind, loving, and compassionate. And the reason we feel so good when we do that is because that's the way God designed us. He makes us feel good when we help others, when we're caring and kind, and he makes us feel like crap when we're greedy, when we're selfish, when we're hating. Uh, we don't feel good about ourselves. And so he's giving us, if we open our hearts and listen uh, by feeling the feedback that we're getting according in terms of how we feel, then we know immediately whether um, we're living um, according to God's will. God's will is what makes us feel right in our souls. Um, God's will is not what makes our ego feel good. No. So that bad feeling is nothing more than a, a, a call to course correct. Exactly. Hey, yeah. this doesn't feel good. You need to try something else. Right, but we have to listen to <clears throat> listen to the feedback. So, to your point, I've never heard God speak to me. I've never heard the English word, 
but I've heard a ton of feedback. And you know, when I'm doing the right thing or when I'm trying to help somebody, I can get goosebumps. And that to me is the energy. I mean, energy is everywhere. I mean, to me, God is everywhere. There's just, um, there's just this energy field that travels throughout the entire universe mm-hmm. that, that, that represents everything that's right in the world. If we open our hearts and let it flow into us, we will get signals that tell us we are on the right course. We are behaving the way that God would want us to. So how do you get from the bathroom floor into your first rehab to find... So this moment of moment of clarity or this moment yeah. it happened in this, the second rehab. Is this correct? Yeah, I had gone to a rehab about six months before. Okay. And it just, you know, it didn't stick. And I didn't... I thought I could still manage it. I, I was still trying to figure out a way... Um, I didn't put everything I had into that first rehab, and so I had another bottom I needed to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but through that period, my family had been very involved in wanting to help me. And so to answer your question, you know, they had set me up at this next rehab, and so I had a lot of help. I had people that looked out for me and loved me and wanted me to do the right thing. And I just somehow... Um, surrendered to, to enough of a degree that I was willing to take a suggestion if I showed up Monday morning bright and early at, at um, Altamir in Sausalito and stayed there for 60 days. And um, the first rehab, I was still working on my job and I would run from a, a class to do my do my work work. And, and so when I went to Altamira, it was... Um, doing nothing but focusing on recovery. I did the first eight steps during those 60 days. I found my sponsor who came to speak at the rehab, Mm -hmm. and I dove in 100%. And that was, you know, recovery is not a one foot in, one foot out, maybe I'll try it. It's not, unless you are fully uh, committed with your heart and you're ready for this entire change in lifestyle, um, to me, you won't be successful. Um, long term, you know, it's just all about yeah. leaving leaving what was behind and finding a new way, a, a healthy way. Yeah, yeah, I know, and and like I and I don't even think that I was a hundred hundred percent when I was going through the steps because I remember them being so difficult and so challenging, and I don't want to say I did it all on my own because that's certainly not the truth. But I did not go to any sort of facility or, or anything. But I just remember it being so difficult. The reason, to, if I can express my opinion, yes. the reason it felt hard is because you were still resisting. And the thing that, it, that's, the, that's the expression of resistance to doing the steps when they felt hard. And your ego is screaming and kicking because you are threatening it that you are going to leave it behind and no longer allow it to run your life. Mm-hmm. So that's where that resistance comes from. And then, you know, uh, to me, you just, you know, you're one over you, you're, the ability to allow your heart to take control of your life, um, you know, and that's I think what happens in recovery is that the heart becomes bigger and the mind becomes less, everything quiets down, and we just stop resisting stuff, you know, mm-hmm. just we don't fight it anymore. And I sometimes I'll have these thoughts where of something I there's something I should do or a certain way I should behave with somebody in in a relationship or just in life and. 
And if I ever had that feeling like, oh man, I don't want to do this, it usually means that that's what I'm supposed to do. So I kind right. of, that ego is still there somewhere going right. like, yeah, you don't, you shouldn't do that. That's too you, right. That's not that's not good for us. Right. And it's like, well, that probably means that I need to go through that or do right. that thing. You right. know. You know, the ego doesn't leave us, right? When we're in no. recovery, it's still there. It's part of our, um, it's part of our uh, body, so to speak. Never going. We can't get rid of it. We can't do a lobotomy. But what we can do is, is again, shift the focus within us so that um, by exercising the heart and infusing spiritual goodness into our soul that swells and becomes bigger and becomes bigger than the ego so the ego retreats because that ego as we know is always going to look for the opportunity to say oh i can do this you know i've got this or you know oh we can go you know we can go drink or whatever it might say to you yeah um, it's always going to look for that opportunity so to me it's you know that's why it's a daily I always put it akin to, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, remember the movie A Beautiful Mind yeah. with Russell Crowe? And at the end, he's got the three little, the people who are in, in his head right. that are kind of over there like, right. hey, yeah. if you want, we're right. still here. You yeah. can talk to us. Right. And so that's where those thoughts of, you know, where the ego lives for me now and right. kind of, or I, I try to keep them as far away. They're right. still there. They right. still let me know, yeah. you know, yeah. temptations, your ego, you know, would, you know, would feel really good right now. And it's like, I know you're still there. I've got more important things to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not today, yeah. I guess is, is really the biggest thing. And, and that sort of idea of, I mean, I can't imagine it. it it's overwhelming. This idea that I'm just going to change my entire life. Right. And, you know, you talk about, well, we can't get a, a lobotomy. And this sort of epiphany or this, like when they talk about a spiritual change, and for some people in recovery, it happens like that, right? And other people, it's, I think they, what's the word of it? It's the educational variety. And so slowly this like personality change or this, that's just another simpler word for like a spiritual awakening right. is that, you know, how I was before is not how I am now. Right. So, I mean, I don't know if you, when you were drinking, um, what, how, how was your personality different than it is today? Like what things was, and I, 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 <laughs> I get it. I, it's, it's, it was it, I mean, was it anger? Was it, um, like what were the things that you gave up? Yeah. So I was angry. Um. I was a very reactionary person. Mm -hmm. um, you would get in my space. You would do anything or say anything that uh, crossed ways with me, and I would react. Um, I, you know, I would see an email from somebody that I didn't like, and I would fire off a response. I didn't pause. I didn't think about what the repercussions were. I'd like to say that I'm calm. I'm thoughtful. Um, I, I'm, I feel serene. Um, I don't react. I've received the gift of pause. And um, that is, you know, um, where I, my sponsor taught me to always ask myself three questions. Does it need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? And does it need to be said right now? So the reactionism is gone. Um, I'm able to just kind of, the other, yeah, the other thing I, um, and, and this is not an indictment on 
um, humanity necessarily, but I've come to realize that people are just flawed by nature. And now I can just sit back and view the world more peacefully in that I, all I have to do is align myself with, these, with God's principles the way that I discussed. If I'm in alignment with those principles and everybody else around me is reacting in cross ways to that, to those, I can just let them do that. And I just stay here, aligned with those principles, and I'm good. And you talk about those principles. I know that, um, and the steps, and my, my sponsor was one of the things he said, because I was very skeptical, very, very skeptical. Um, and I, I went in there as, in my mind, I was just investigating this, like, hmm, what's this all about? I don't, I don't really know, you know? And, and so he, he said something to me that stuck, and he's like, it's kind of like life the missing manual and I don't know you know you mentioned being uncomfortable as a kid I certainly didn't feel like the the people in my life that I thought should be mentors and teachers they weren't there for me and so I can't believe how much I didn't learn growing up and then to stop drinking and to actually talk to somebody who was like hey try this instead of this. Nobody had ever told me that. The only people that I found were people who like to have fun, you know, who like to go out, who like to drink, who like to, you know, do drugs and let's party and that kind of thing. And so that sort of eye-opening thing where it's like, oh, there is another way. Right. I, I can't, I can't believe it. Right. So, um, I, it's, and just, it's And it's hard to know that until you experience the fruits from that other way. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, when I'm sitting in rehab and detoxing and all I've ever known was that one way and I've never experienced any of the fruits from living the right way, you're walking into the, you're walking out a plank into the unknown because you don't know, you hear people stand up there and talk about, oh my God, my life's been turned around and I can't believe how good it is. And, you know, you hear these people that have been in recovery for a while and and you're looking at them thinking, okay, well, I hope they're right. I mean, I, I see that, but I don't know how they got there, and I don't even know how to get there. And so uh, for me, it was beginning to practice um, doing what I was told, beginning to practice the, once I had, was able to open my heart and begin to feel some stuff and beginning to practice some spirituality. Little by little, I began to get the fruits of what I was doing and I began to feel good, moments of goodness. And so I said, wow, I, I, I t always took note. I always paid attention to what was going on because you can't miss these signals. You can't miss these things that are happening because they're just little treats that come along the way that you build upon. Um, you know, I, I learned how to pray by, you know, building a ritual around going to the bathroom. Every time I would go pee, I would do a prayer. And that was my way of putting prayer into my life. So yes, the importance of daily rituals and having things that you do on a regular basis. I mean, I imagine you're similar in that when I was drinking, everything was chaos. You know, it didn't matter. The only thing was how I was going to get to that drink, whether it was, and I don't know where you got, whether it was a bottle of vodka underneath the bed or if I yes. was going to have to drive to the grocery store or the other grocery store so that the people at the first one didn't see me 
and all that kind of that sneaky behavior. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a Rite Aid on uh, Amola Street in Napa that I frequented every just about every morning at 7 o'clock because I would drink my way through my inventory uh, from the previous day and, um, you know, hiding it in all my hiding spots that my wife already knew about. Um, but yeah, so I showed up at Rite Aid pretty much, you know, and that's an embarrassing thing, sh you know, shuttling, shoveling up to the, the Rite Aid uh, checkout stand at 7 in the morning with a couple of plastic bottles of, you know, cheap vodka. Um, you know, it's embarrassing. And even today when I drive, years, years later when I drive past that Rite Aid, I mean, those, those memories are as, as close to fresh as shiver when I think about that moment. So I can go into a grocery store, but I only buy the diet ginger uh -huh. beer. <laughs> it's always that thing. I was like, yeah, what time do they close? And yeah. what oh, they, yeah. you know, when I lived in Oregon, it was like, well, they're state run, so we can't buy liquor on Sunday. So we need to make sure that on Saturday we get there by seven. We buy enough to get through that, you know, here in California. I moved down here and it's like the Wild West. They're, you know, handle jugs of Maker's Mark for like $12 and Stoli's like, on sale for 10 bucks and yep. it's like it's not my god yeah. it's it's insane yeah yeah but yeah and i don't know if you felt the same way when you were drinking you know no was i was very much i was in denial okay you know just trying to fool myself that i could mm -hmm. still do this i mean yeah. nobody else knew i mean i didn't i didn't need to tell anybody it was pretty darn obvious yeah yeah i just i would remember and then i would think back to things like I always wanted to be in the kitchen making the food if there was a party because I was always in control of the bottle of wine or the bottle of whiskey or I could take a pull off of a bottle right. or pour myself a little bit heavier because I needed it. Right. Oh, you yeah. know, yeah, instead yeah. everyone else is going to be fine, but I need a little bit extra. I need right. to make sure there's enough for me and, oh, and yeah. that sort of thing. So right. very much that sort of being... And everybody thought you were just a good host being in the kitchen. But, yeah, but, that was it. Was, exactly. Was Absolutely. Method. method to your madness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I didn't realize that until later because I was like, well, sure, I'm an alcoholic, but you know, whatever. I, I pay the rent, right? You know, hey man, get off my back. Oh, yeah. What's the problem? Yeah. The bills are paid. You got everything you need. Right. You know, leave me alone. And I think that that idea of isolation, you know, you, you, you are, you were married and, and, you know, you had a family and, and having to still isolate yourself from oh, people yeah. who, who want to help you. Right. <laughs> and then there's that whole, um, the, the strain that that causes on the relationship because, you know, your wife doesn't know how to help you. So my wife got angry and running around finding bottles and, um, which caused more strain with more discomfort, so it only led me to want to use and drink more. Um, um, so, you know, there's just all that uh, pain and, and strain that goes along with, you know, having a relationship in the middle of, with somebody being addicted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. and she was not afflicted in the same way. No, I mean, she's a, she's a normie, I mean, for all intents and purposes, uh, you know. Um, I mean, she can have two drinks and a night and stop, you know. Um, I don't get it. But. I don't get it either. That's sort of that idea of like, I don't want just one. Yeah. You know, I want all of them yeah. until I can't function anymore. Yeah. Now, now I just don't want any. Be, you know, I mean, I don't even, the urge just isn't there because I just get scared of, I know where it goes. So I don't, you know.
did you find in early, early recovery? And you're, how many years have you been sober? Uh, seven years I've been in recovery. Seven years? That's awesome. Um, congratulations. Thanks. Um, did you find like temptation and things like that difficult when you first got sober? Like even going through the program and having the rehab, the 60 days and all the steps, was it ever a thing? Did you ever think, well, maybe I could have a beer or I'll just pop into that Rite Aid? Yeah, which is what led me when I had to go to rehab again. I mean, I, yeah, I was thinking all those kinds of things. Um, I can do this. I can manage it. Oh, I'll just drink when, I'm on, when I go on vacation, but I'll stop when I come back. I mean, it was all that crap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I had to I had to go through that a little bit until, um, you know, I finally went to Altamira and came out the other side and realized that they're just. But I had to experience again enough of the the right way and get enough um, value in return from living that way that I knew that it was going to work for me. That because I just the, the fear that entered me when I was coming to the end was that, oh, I have no idea like what I'm going to do now. It's like, if I can't use and drink the way I've been using and drinking, what is, what does that look like? I don't know how to live life, not, not drunk and not high. So that was a big part of the fear. And so once I began to get enough reward, um, in a spiritual sense, enough good feelings in return for living the right way, then I began to say, okay, well, I'm starting to, I'm starting to get something here. I'm starting to, and that's not a greedy thing. It's just more, okay, I'm starting to understand it because the sure. re, I'm, I'm getting some feedback that's telling me some good feedback that I, when I feel good about myself, that's telling me, okay, that this is what it's about. Now I'm beginning to understand. And so, um, I think I'll do more of that, Yes. but you know, you're right. I mean, it's, there's definitely periods of time in the first year where it's, you know, it, it can be touch and go until this, until this whole way of life gets cemented and you develop this muscle memory and you develop the, um, the, re, the, re, you know, repeatedness of, of practicing this way that, um, it just becomes who you are. Yeah, I am. Um, you use the word ritual and I think that that's, that's an important thing because, you know, routine is important, but routine, I don't think, has as much um, significance as having a ritual. So it's important that I get up and I brush my teeth every day, but it's not, there's no ritual behind brushing my teeth. Yeah. But when I talk about doing my, doing my prayer in the morning, or whether it's meditation, or going for a walk, which a lot of times, as far as, you know, exercise and working out, there's a huge mental benefit to it as much as there is right. physical. Right. And spiritual so, reward. Yes. Yeah, so that's the reward. difference between a routine and a ritual. Is <laughs> mm-hmm. that with a ritual, you get a spiritual reward. Thank you. And that good feeling that we get, mm-hmm. which then builds on itself, which it's like making a spiritual deposit into your, through your heart, into your soul, which grows it and allows it to become the primary influence in your life instead of your fricking ego, you know, in your head. Which is still, I mean, for me, even three years on, it's certainly, and I, I'm by no means, can, I would can still, I would still consider three years to be early, at least from my vantage point of sobriety. You know, I still struggle with things. My my sponsor moved out of town last year, and so it's like, well, shit, I can still call him, but 
then I start thinking about other things and I'm like, well, I'm feeling like I need to go talk to somebody else. I need to get another one. I need yeah. to go through these steps again. I need to, you know, follow in those, you know, follow those principles and not allow myself to just kind of go, well, I'm good, you know, because yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like that is ultimately being good is not good enough, you know? Right. And so when I feel those, those feelings of like slacking off, I mean, I, do you have a, like a regular daily routine or rituals that you keep in place? Like how often do you go to meetings or do you work with other alcoholics and that kind of stuff to help cement those principles? Yeah. So, um, I go to, uh, typically three meetings a week and I work with a couple of sponsees. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be quite honest, this business that I have now, I view as a gift from God, as a way to give back and help others. So I view this business as a spiritual practice also, because part of our long-term objective, um, and we're doing it short-term as well, but is to use the profits of the company to give back and help others, important causes like addiction treatment and animal rights and things that are near and dear to our heart. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in the short-term, you know, we're doing a lot of school fundraising, um, we're, we're doing holiday heroes in the city where we go and it's, it's that big benefit for, uh, under, uh, underprivileged kids at the AT&T park. And we're going to be the ice cream vendor there, you know, giving all the product away, just finding ways, even though we're not profitable to give back and help others. So, um, every day I get up and I, I focus on this business, you know, early to, until late, uh, with the whole sole idea that. You know, ultimately, um, it's it's good. This is my vehicle, you know, f- from God to give back and help others. Yeah, it's important to have something and to um, and like you said, that idea of like, oh, what what's meaningful to you? And it's like, well, this is my job, and that's that's not the case at all. You know, right. I was I was a bartender for thirteen years, and the last three of those were not meaningful at all. Right. I mean, it was just. I need to do this to make money and, you know, finding that sort of way to give back with, you know, being able to talk to you and, and you coming here and doing this, this is awesome. And I, you know, I, I really appreciate it, but just finding those things that are of value. And there was another speaker I had said, if you're just, if you keep doing the, the right things in the right place, the right stuff will come to you. Right. And I mean, that has been it just in the short period of time that I've been sober, that has absolutely been the case. Right. And finding that feeling of like, you have to trust. Right. When things are not going the way you think they should be going. <laughs> right. Um, and I think that that person was correct. I think if you live by God's principles, live in harmony, try to help others around you, um, God takes care of those that, that do that. And you're putting good energy out and you're emitting good energy and um, invariably it circles around back to you. I don't, I don't know if you found the same thing, but I used to walk down the street um, in my disease and I was giving off such bad energy that I couldn't get people to look at me. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody would say hi to me. And now I just I get smiles from pretty much everybody just because I'm even unconsciously I'm emitting better energy. 
and 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 it's just amazing the way that happens we're, we're all made up of energy and there's energy all around us and that's what's happening when people are in in community around each other they're just giving off energy to each other and um it's a big part of what makes us in harmony with others or not you know is the type of energy that we're carrying with us yeah and so if we're in this isolated world and we're just kind of self-absorbed and focused and in our disease you know that's not the kind of energy that anybody else wants to be a part of i was definitely isolation was huge at the very end well more so than than just the very end but at the very end it was all i wanted to do was be alone and lock myself in my room and and drink yeah. and that was that the last drink was well the very last drink was a beer on that couch when i had that moment of like this has got to stop somehow like yeah. something has to change because I, you know, I had this flash and I saw everything. I had just moved into this house. I saw it gone. I had just gotten a new job. I saw it gone. I was, you know, drinking and driving, albeit I didn't, I didn't work too far away. I was drinking on the job and I was driving home and I even did it when I lived in Napa and worked in Sonoma. And so all these things, it was like, I just saw it like, literally that sort of oh these are all these things are going to be gone if you don't do something yeah then, well you're one of those rare <laughs> few that actually stopped before those things did happen i am very grateful for that i don't know if you had any um oh, yeah. like run-ins consequences, with consequences oh, yeah. like severe consequences legal yeah. Oh, yeah. or three, otherwise yeah oh, yeah three duis over you know 30 years um fortunately they were each a decade apart but you know um few different arrests for drunk and disorderly and you know my my last um, DUI I thought that it would be a good idea to take some Ambien to to take the edge off the cocaine while I was driving home from Palo Alto in the rain and ended up falling asleep at the wheel and hitting a parked car that had two people in it um, neither nobody was hurt but you can just imagine um, so yeah <laughs> there's just unbelievable consequences it's amazing the rationalizations that we make in those in those moments and yeah i've never i'm so grateful and i i think for a long time too like early in recovery and even working with my sponsor and i'd have discussions with them and i'd be really frustrated and i'd be resisting like you said and i'd say so what what maybe i didn't i didn't go low enough what do i have to go out there and and, you know, do something horrible? Do I have to go to jail? Do I have to, you know, ruin somebody else's life more so than I already had with, you know, past relationships? Yeah. <clears throat> and he said, no, 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 John, calm down. <laughs> you know, you're fine. It's okay that your bottom wasn't as low as some other people's. But, you know, it's, I mean, what a gift to be able to learn from other people yeah. and to share and that people are open enough to share about it right. and to um, to be able to to go, oh, okay, that's that's all right. So I don't need to go learn that. Somebody else has already done that and is, is willing to share with me. Right. And that's been huge. And so I don't, I, I, there's not a day that goes by that I, I don't, you know, thank God, right. you know. And for me, that's that idea of, and I, I, make this joke where it, and you talk about it being a feeling and being an energy because I certainly I do my best and I, I my joke is that 
God is kind of like my um, Craigslist roommate that works opposite hours. We don't always see each other around the house, but as long as I do the dishes and pay the rent, my half of the rent, you know, everything else seems to be fine. So that's kind of how I, I related because I don't have this, I never had this huge epiphany or anything like that, but it's like, if I do those right things, everything else seems to fall in place. Right. Right. So, so that there's the feedback that I think I was talking about where mm -hmm. you're living according to the principles about living life the right way. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's for you. That's more than just doing the dishes and paying the bills. I'm sure it's doing a lot of night, like your podcast. Yeah. I mean, you're doing a lot of, you're doing a lot of great service for people. So, um, I'm sure you feel the benefit from doing that in, in your heart and soul. And, and so that's why it's things like that, that make everything come around to you because you're helping others and, and giving back being of service yeah being is, of service is important yeah. um yeah man i mean it's just been what a trip and what what to think like if i had continued i well i certainly wouldn't be here talking with you yeah. but i mean i don't know that i would have i would be alive and i know that that's this seems very dramatic but i don't think that people realize when you go like when somebody meets you and they, they wouldn't expect that, you know, when you talk about ambient cocaine and car crashes, um, that those things don't probably emanate from you because that's not you anymore. But right. the severity of those things is real. Right. And <clears throat> well, I saved a picture of myself going into rehab, um, and I'll show it to you when we finish up okay. here. And it reminds me, if I ever get too far from reality, that um, of who I was <laughs> and how close this is. I mean, it bears no resemblance to what I look like today. The co-host of this podcast, and he was the one who told me, he said, I was asking him, how do I get, how do I stay sober? Because it was brand new to me, you know, and I wanted to, and I think that was the key thing, you know, recoveries for those who want it, not those who need it. Right. <laughs> but he said, he said, take that last bender of yours and tattoo it on your brain, you know, using that language. But, and that's what I do now is right. like, okay. I tattoo it on my brain and I go, okay, that's, remember that feeling? Yeah. Do you remember where you were? Do you remember what the recycle bin sounded like that time where you rolled it out to the street? Right. Those kinds of things, you know, yeah. do you remember, you know, just. And just the fear of how fear. lonely, how lonely you were and, and the pain, mm -hmm. emotional and physical. Um, yeah, I, I get shivers every time I even get close to that memory and I don't need, I don't need to remember much of it. I just, I just, yeah. I just begin to go down that road, and I get all the fear I need. Mm -hmm. There's a um, the job that I worked at. They gave us uh, for a resort, and um, they gave us like little ID cards. And so they took my picture when I first started working there, which was about six weeks before I quit drinking. So there's a picture of me then, and then I I remember I took a picture of me like three years later or something like that, and. I couldn't believe the difference. Like I hadn't looked at that picture in so long and I saw it and you know, I'm kind of a big dude anyway, but my face was bloated. I swear that my hairline has gotten better. I don't know if that's possible, but maybe it was the or your haircut. forehead shrunk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I was like looking, I was like, I looked bald. I looked sad. That was, that smile was not happy. And I was so bloated. Yeah. Like I was just so 
big and bloated and it yeah. was just such a surprising thing to see those two pictures side by side yeah and so that was like that real sort of visceral tangible evidence of the change that had happened in the last three years right you know and some people early in recovery begin to wonder well was it really as bad as it was and maybe it wasn't that bad and um, when you have pictures, side-by-side pictures like you do and the picture that I have of myself, uh, yeah, it was that bad. Mm-hmm. And there's the evidence. Um, you know, my body was shutting down. Yeah. Did you, were you hospitalized for oh. anything or did you? Oh, yeah. Have, I mean, okay. yeah. Well, I mean, I, unlike you, could not stop myself. So I had to go into rehabs and detoxes to, um, to get the uh, fluids and so on to, you know, stop the shakes. Um, so hospitalized in that sense, but yeah. I, I couldn't stop on, on my own. I wasn't, um, I didn't have the strength. Yeah. I needed help. Yeah, I, I definitely, I had, um, I had people that were there to help me as well. Like I did not, you know, did not do it on my own. Um, you know, the person who lived here before me was in the program they were a good friend of mine. You know, they left me a nice little book in the nightstands. They encouraged me to go seek outside support. So um, it was definitely uh, something that I didn't do alone. But yeah, I did not. It, that that was not my. That was that just wasn't my story. Yeah. You know. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about. And I know that that's not why we're here, but I wanted to talk to you about ice cream. And I'll, in specific, because of my personal relationship with ice cream and with sweets. And I don't know if that was something that was um, a, an addiction for you along with alcohol, or if it replaced alcohol at any point. Because it was kind of, for me, I remember thinking like, oh, well, I can't, I can't, I would just eat like two pints of ice cream. In a night. I would get yeah. two thinking I wouldn't have to go to the store again right. for a while. Both, yeah. It's like two bottles of wine. And then I get the Klondike bars because I was like, well, there's six of them, right? Or four or six of them. And I was like, if I have one, then I could, then I, and I would like go through sometimes even all six of them. Like right. it, so that those behaviors of making sure I didn't go to the same 7-Eleven two nights in a row. Right. For yeah. ice cream. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 uh, <laughs> it mirrors the addictive experience with alcohol and drugs it's the, mm-hmm. it's the same battle so um yeah i mean i've always had an addiction to to sugar sweets but it, it um it exacerbated itself when i quit alcohol because mm-hmm. there's a lot of sugar and alcohol as we know and so my body and my mind were craving other sources of comfort and so it only escalated um so um yeah i mean the same with you is um if it's in if it's at home um it's all free game. And so I was eating just a ton of, ton of sweets, chocolate chip cookies, ice cream. Uh, if I've never met a sweet I don't like. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was having an effect on my body. I was putting on a lot of weight. And, um, you know, I think it happens to all of us. We're all, a lot of people that are fresh in recovery are hitting the cigarettes, hitting the caffeine, hitting the sweets, anything to give themselves comfort um, as a as a replacement for what they what they're missing with you know alcohol and drugs. Yeah. So um, that's part of what led to developing this ice cream is trying to create a, a healthier version so that 
you know, I could still satisfy that ice cream craving uh, without having all the deleterious effects on the body. So, um, um, what did you do prior to this, or what was your your skill set? Or I'm an or... I'm an entrepreneur, so okay. I I create and run businesses. Okay. So I'm a partner in a restaurant group currently, and then um, I have this new ice cream brand. Okay. Um, so I just look for different opportunities, and a lot of it's timing, and a lot of it is you know right place, right time. Mm -hmm. and, um, as I said, I met you know um, a trainer who had developed this um, crude recipe for a high protein ice cream, and we've and then we kind of worked together for a while and made it a, an entire lifestyle ice cream, and worked with a food scientist and just made it what we feel is you know special with. Um, you know, delivering a great experience with a bunch of health benefit. So, more responsible way to eat ice cream. <laughs> yes, it is. It and I've got to get you some. I'll bring you some. <laughs> sure, I would, you know, and I'd yeah. love to come visit out there. Yeah. Are you? Do you have, like, a, a home front for this ice cream? Is there... No. Or it's just... But you're out in stores. I mean, you're here in at least two places in Sonoma. Yeah, we sell it in a lot of local markets. We're kind of everywhere north of the bridge north of the golden mm -hmm. gate we're in marin sonoma napa counties and we're growing quickly um the, the part i think maybe we could just quickly focus on yeah whatever about the brand is is not so much about the ice cream but um we we have four main brand tenants and two of them um one is one is about giving back and helping others and particularly those who are struggling and need a break like you and i did um, and so through school fundraising and other types of things that we're going to support, you know, that's an important piece of the brand. And so we, every time somebody buys a pint of this ice cream, hopefully they can feel comfortable that, you know, our intentions are good, our motives are good, and we're going to use those proceeds to help others. Secondly is, you know, our company is run with a culture of harmony, uh, kindness, and compassion. So um, we try to practice the principles of recovery inside the company the way that that we run it and and part of our social media posting um, I do all the posting myself and I write all the the material mm -hmm. and um, every fourth day we'll post something about that lifestyle so it could, it's about spirituality so how can we all be better um, you know citizens of the world and and I've I transmit a lot of the stuff that I've learned in recovery um, so even that quote I just mentioned to you about, you know, does it, you know, the gift of pause, does it need to be said by me? Does it need to be said right now? And does it, um, does it need to be said by me? Does it need to be said right now? And does it need to be said at all? Does that, I, you know, I post that and I write some stuff about it that, you know, how it's helped me in my life. So um, those are two really important facets of the brand that we're trying to, um, put out there so that we help other people in other ways besides just a healthier alternative to eating ice cream. Yeah, I've, it's not it's not just about ice cream <laughs> then. No, this is No, because it needs to be about more than that for yeah. me because a, a big part of this like I said is a it's my spiritual practice this business. So it's not it can't be about making a big ice cream brand. It has to be about making an ice cream brand that means something and that gives back and helps others. Because, you know, um, if I go back down that road again where it's about me and about materialism, then um, I'm right back where I was. Yeah, it's, 
they talk about, you know, we, we keep coming back to it being a spiritual program and, and it being such an absolute core part of recovery, um, which, again, is a very large pill for a lot of people to swallow. There, they talk, um, I have read that, you know, things like the opposite of addiction is connection. And they've done some, you know, scientific uh, experiments with rats and cocaine yeah. water and all that kind of stuff. You probably know all about this. Right. And, uh-huh. and you know, basically it was that the, the rats that don't have, that don't need the cocaine because they have family, they have community, that kind of thing. Right. They, don't, they don't go for the drugs. Right. So that connection, so that's not only with your fellow human beings, but also finding that spiritual connection. Right. Um, and whatever name you give it, you know, like whether it be God or, you know, whatever, whatever power is higher than you, you know, I sometimes think about as like my higher self. So right. wherever that exists, that that's who I am, you know, maybe the best a, version of yourself, the best version of myself. If right. that's maybe a prayer is just like checking in with my higher self and who I imagine will be again of the best service to the world. Right. Not so much about what will do me best. Right. Because I already know where that that right. goes, where right. that where that ends up. Right. And it doesn't it, it it has not ended well. It took me, you know, eighteen years to figure that out. Right. Um but I I just I was super excited the first time I saw it was an Instagram post and I was like, ice cream? New ice cream? In Sonoma at the Broadway market and what is right. this recovery business and I mean it was like there was literally something that was speaking to me yeah in that ice moment cream recovery ice cream and recovery and I'm <laughs> yeah. like oh is it possible John that you know I mean I don't know if I'm gonna have to uh, have a fourth step with Ben and Jerry's or what but you know what I mean yeah. like that sort of right that 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 feeling but it was just like what an awesome thing you know like that was that was my first thought and that was when I just reached out and said, hey, wow. And I went to Broadway Market and the woman behind the counter was talking about it. Oh, yeah. And we saw, have you had the, uh, I think it was, did you have the lemon poppy seed? And I was like, no, I haven't had that one yet. It was my first time there. Oh, that was the one that sold out when they were here tasting. And, and um, it was just like, oh, okay, so cool. Like, wow, it's, that's, that's awesome. And then running into you at the, uh, yeah, at the, the snow, at the snow market. market. Yeah. So that was it. Was like, okay, this is great. Yeah, those aren't coincidences, by the way. The, I don't, I don't know that. Yeah, I don't yeah. believe in them anymore. No. Um, but it's it's such a um, and it really does. It feels good. Like you're like, oh wow. So, whatever it is, whether it's doing a podcast or making ice cream and and being able to give something to people who need it and to people who want it. You know, um, I, I just think it's a, it's a great thing. And that's, yeah. that was the connection that I made with you yeah. and with, with what you're doing. Yeah. You know? Well, thanks for reaching out and, um, any chance I can get to talk recovery and meet a new friend in the program. Um, Absolutely. You know, I'm on it. Um, um I might so. ask you to come back too, if, you know, if you ever want to and talk about it more. Well, I'd love to, but I'm not sure your audience would agree, but <laughs> we'll find out what the feedback is. Um, but yeah, and so you t- I wanted to ask you about these two little dogs. Yeah, well, now, now you're going to get me really excited. <laughs> yeah, so M- Midgey and Maggie, they're, uh, they've just been so important and meaningful in my life of recovery because um, 
you know, um, life can be difficult and we have our everyday stressors, but with them around every day, I just, I can go to them as one of my tools and spend time with them. And they bring me, they open my heart back up and they bring me right back to what's important. And, you know, I watch them operate and I watch them live and they're just happy. There's no uh, resentments on their part. They don't hold grudges. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's, they're just beautiful little things. And um, they teach me a lot. And, and like I said, I, you know, they're one of my tools of recovery where I can go to them and they give me so much in terms of serenity and joy and, and, and peace and love and they help me love. Um, and um, so they're just, um, my heart just swells when I think of them. So um, they're really important you know, parts of my recovery, Midgey and Maggie. Animals are pretty great that way. Yeah. I've got a family, a couple families of deer that live around here and they kind of come out and we just kind of stand around and hang out and yeah. it's just a very quiet moment and they don't, like you said, they don't have resentments or hold grudges or right. any of that stuff. Right. So. Yeah, and there's, yeah. there's energy transmitting between you and those deer, you know, that there's, there's a connection between you, you know, that um, it's just, it's just a beautiful thing and, and in our life and our disease, like we, go, I, I go right by those things. You know, I don't make connections with anything. And look at how much of life that we would have been missing out on. And, yeah. You know, how much beauty there is to connecting with all living things, not just human beings. It's very, very true. Um, thank you, George. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's John really nice, pleasure. like, yeah. you know, getting to sit and talk with somebody about recovery. Um, so it's one of, it's one of my favorite things and I, I don't feel like I do it enough, so. Yeah, well, this counts as a meeting. So yes. We, we got a meeting. All right, we that's good, that's good. Meeting is two guys talking recovery. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. One drunk helping another. I yeah, appreciate it. Exactly. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with George Haymaker III, the founder of Rethink Ice Cream. We had a really great time together. Um, I had a list of questions that I had typed up. And before we even hit record, he said, hey, man, can you just turn that over and let's have a conversation? And I'm so glad that he did. It came out really well. It felt really good. It was really inspiring. And he even brought me some samples of ice cream. And I got to tell you, they're delicious. So thanks again for listening. This is John from A is for Alcoholic. You can find us on all the platforms that matter at A is for Alcoholic. Our music is by Neglect. You can find his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can reach us at A is for Alcoholic at gmail.com. Have a great day.